0: Thank you, Megan. And let me turn this speaker on. I think it's on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's, I got to tell you, it's ridiculously encouraging to see you here this morning. It's just so nice to see so many faces in the room. Uh, it, you're lighting me up. So thank you, for, thank you for showing up. And also thank you for those who are online. Uh, we're grateful that you're also joining us because I know that these are strange times and we each have to choose the path that is uh, safe and appropriate for each one of us. So I'm gonna take a moment, we'll pray together, and then we're uh, looking today at precisely the scripture that Megan read. What does it mean to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge? So please pray with me. Father, thanks that we can gather here and online, listening for your voice. Uh, My prayer is that you would teach us our desire, Father, is to be rooted in you, not just to know what that means, but to experience that as a reality so that every storm, rather than toppling us, strengthens us. So would you teach us by the power of your spirit and also give us hearts to respond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was younger, the mountains to me were a place of conquest. I like to summit peaks and climb rock faces I still enjoy those things but this last 18 months have been a time of uh, really kind of walking through the forest and learning about the ecosystem that is the forest slowing down in a way and and meditating on what God has to teach us through the forest and in the process of Doing so, as we live, my wife and I, 53 miles east of here, we have about two-thirds of an acre that is forest. Uh, In the process of doing so, I'm in the midst of reading a book entitled Finding the Mother Tree, which is about ecosystems, as well as a biography of a woman. I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, I want to share with you from page 18 near the beginning, because it's so fitting for our time together this morning. So Suzanne, who is the author of the book, is a forester in British Columbia and uh, uh, an area, maybe say 600 acres or so has been clear cut of fir trees and replanted with little spruce trees, spruce, A, growing faster, B, being more profitable. So planted in rows, spruce trees, her task in chapter one, uh, she's assessing the health of these new Trees. So just listen as I read. The first spruce seedling I checked was alive, but barely, yellowish needles. Its spindly stem was pathetic. How is it supposed to survive this brutal terrain? I looked up the planted row. All the new seedlings were struggling, every single one. Why did they look so awful? Why, in contrast, did the wild firs germinating in that old growth patch? Looks so brilliant. I pulled out my field book, wiped needles off the waterproof cover, cleaned my glasses. The replanting was supposed to heal what we'd taken, and we were failing miserably. And then I skip a few paragraphs to this that she then says. I pulled up another spruce seedling from its planting hole, wondering if the answer might be in the roots, not the needles. They'd been buried tightly in granular soil, Where it was still moist in late summer, it was a perfect planting job. The forest floor had been scraped away. The planting hole plunged into the damp mineral earth below, just as instructed by the book. I inserted the roots back into the hole and checked another seedling and another and another. Every one of the seedlings was planted properly, but the root plugs, the actual root, looked embalmed as if they'd been shoved into a tomb. Not a single root seemed to understand what it was supposed to do. None were sprouting new white tips to forage the ground. The roots were coarse, black, plunging straight to nowhere. They looked dead. The seedlings shed yellow needles because they were starving. Now, this is the phrase that governs everything we'll talk about for the next 28 minutes and 40 seconds. There was an utter maddening disconnect between the roots and the soil. Just sit with that for a minute. An utter maddening disconnect between the roots and the soil. The spruce were starving because they were not receiving what the soil had to offer. So in this metaphor that governs us this morning, rooted in Ephesians 3, if we're trees, then it's vital that our roots receive all that the soil, which is Christ, has to give. Uh, and so there's moisture, there's nitrogen, there's micronutrients in the soil that trees need to survive. And for you, from Christ, there's all these identity truths: the the reality that you're complete in Christ, that you're infinitely, irrevocably, unconditionally loved; the reality that Christ's Spirit lives in you; the reality that you're called; that the reality the, the reality that you have at your disposal, disposal all the capacity for your soul to be healed and transformed. That's your soil. You're the tree. You have a root that is charged by God to go deep into that soil receive all that Christ is so that your tree might thrive. Does this make sense? And yet the reality is that doesn't happen all the time. And so we want to talk about why it doesn't happen uh, by looking at this prayer prayed in Ephesians 3. We're going to learn from uh, uh, the, the spruce trees and their failures and the fir trees and their successes, and ask the question, how can we be more like the fir tree receiving than the spruce tree, which though planted properly, never received? I mean, we could carry the metaphor way out. If you're here this morning, you're planted. It's not the question. The question is, are you receiving? Because only by receiving are we transformed. We can't receive if we're not planted, (laughs) but we can be planted and not receive. So uh, Paul prays, Megan read it beautifully, Paul's famous prayer. His desire is that Christ's followers in Ephesus would live out from their truest identity. And and Paul prays this prayer and does this by providing this articulation uh, in Ephesians 1 and 2 particularly of the many riches that all of us have when we turn to Christ. Once you come to Christ, this is what you read. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're chosen, you're adopted, you're redeemed. You're invited to live with the confidence that comes by living on the basis of grace. You're the recipients of God's revelation regarding the end of the story, which is that history is headed toward a world in which every atom in the universe is going to be shot through with the glory of God. We're headed toward kind of this perfection throughout the universe. All of this is true. It's all articulated in Ephesians 1 and 2. And God's desire is that these truths would define and determine your priorities so that you and I then might display the character of the risen Jesus in our living right? And so then Paul prays, and we heard it read, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and I, uh, from whom every family uh, derives its name, and I pray uh, that you would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. So right there in Ephesians 3, you find these three elements. In a world where many jettison faith, either intentionally or through neglect, It's imperative to note, very important, that we see our calling, ultimately our joy, is is to press on to the end. And if we're going to continue, the root is vital. And the root receiving from the soil is vital. So the way that the root receives from the soil is there's, there's kind of three elements that inform that for we as Christ followers. First of all, our spirit must be strengthened. Our inner being, that's our spirit, Second, Christ must become our homepage. Third, we must become rooted and grounded in love. So those three things. Our spirit must be strengthened. Christ become our homepage, rooted and grounded in love. Let's look at this first. Uh, We must be strengthened uh, through the spirit. So again, uh, in in Paul's prayer, if I just go back and look, it says, Paul's praying that uh, you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So may you be strengthened with God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, in your inner being, which is your spirit. May your spirit be strengthened with God's Spirit. That's the prayer. So I have to be strengthened in my spirit. Now, what, what, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's think for a minute just quickly about, uh, we just heard, there's a class about spirit, soul, and body. Remember Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is that you would be made whole in all of those areas, spirit, soul, and body. So we just think for a minute about what it means to be human. We begin by acknowledging and celebrating, actually, there's a great glory in being human. All humans are made in the image of God. Genesis 9 says it. Psalm 8 says we're just a little lower than the angels. Psalm 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Humans have this immense capacity for creativity and justice and wisdom. And and, uh, though we don't do it perfectly, as we'll see, we celebrate that we have this capacity to display God's character. And and we see humans do amazing things. Think about 9-11 first responders going back into buildings. Think about frontline workers during a COVID crisis. Think about kindergarten teachers. Think about Shakespeare, or school bus drivers, especially school bus drivers, or microbiologists, immunologists, architects. Later today, Russell Wilson, MLK, Amanda Gorman. I mean, humans are amazing. We're like, we have capacity. Whether it's athleticism or creativity or, or endless uh, attention to details with numbers, humans do amazing stuff, and we're weak. We're weak. We're, we're weak in the body. Though we're amazing, we're always, every day, getting older and losing uh, physical capacity. My daughter was running a marathon, uh, or a half marathon, yesterday, uh, up in the mountains, and I had gone a little run, and then ended up at the at the finish line to take a video of her as she was taken off. And uh, there were pace people, so people are holding up these things. Hey, if you run a five-minute mile, you're here. Seven minute here, nine minute here, eleven minute here, fourteen minute here, and then back at the bus kind of stuff. And I just totally unscientifically noticed. Imagine this, the further back people were, the grayer people were. Why would that be? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Though the inner man is being renewed, 2 Corinthians 5, the outer man, we're told, is what? Wasting away. So you still run, but slower. That's the reality. So we're weak in body and we're weak in will. Romans 7 says the good things that we want to do, we don't do. So everyone in the room we could do this, but we won't. I'd like, raise your hand thing. Whoever made a New Year's resolution and then failed? Who, like, whoever started a journal, and you were going to keep doing it, and then you failed? Whoever started a, a diet or whatever, a lifestyle change, and then you failed? Whoever, you know, I try, I fail. We all do, right? I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, on December 31st, saying, man, this is the year that we kill it in hospitality. And you know, we open our home and people are in, and there's parties and big bonfire in the back, you know, still hasn't happened. And that was three years ago. Why? It's a will problem, actually. So we got a body problem, we got a will problem. And and the, this kind of there's a soul problem finally. And the soul problem in John 8, remember Jesus says in John 8, like you live in a world that is more or less governed by who Jesus calls the father of lies, and that's Satan. So Satan's kind of at work, and the work of Satan kind of pollutes our soul, basically, right? Um, because to the extent that I believe lies, then, you know, I'm, the lie that I'm not enough, the lie that God's love for me is conditional, or the lie that I am my money, or I am my body, or I am my, my intellect, or I am my job, or I am my sphere of influence. Like when I believe lies, then I live out from that as reality. And if I'm living out from that as reality, I'm making choices that are destructive and unsatisfying. And that leaves a void in my life. And then often I try and fill the void with kind of self medicating uh, response mechanisms. And those also are destructive, right? So it could be alcohol, it could be sexual addiction, it could be drugs, it could be food, it could be TV, it could be a dozen things, but I believe the lie, I begin to live out from the lie, I'm trying to, you know, define myself by my net worth, or my, or my job, or, or I'm trying to earn love, or I'm trying to cover up a wound, or people told me that I was worthless and I believed it, and so I'm living out of shame, whatever it is, and then I, and then I medicate my, I try to medicate my way out of that, and that creates its own second layer of shame, and for some, it's a downward spiral, right? That's the soul. The soul is sick. So it's interesting. Paul's prayer, again, I'm going to read it. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, God might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. By your soul, your inner being is your spirit. I pray that you'd be strengthened in your spirit. Here's the thing. The problem isn't your soul is too weak. The problem is God's design is that you would live out from the power of the Spirit. And if the Spirit informs the soul, then the soul is transformed. and it moves away from lies to truth, and then away from shame to uh, a clear conscience, and away from lust to purity, and away from, from greed to generosity. But the soul needs transformation, and it's only transformed when the soul learns to submit to the Spirit. And we're told that the fundamental problem is that our soul has a hard time submitting to the Spirit. We know that from 1 Corinthians 2.14, where Paul says this, Paul says this, the natural man rejects the things of God. Now, that word natural there is soukake in Greek, and it means the, the person living out from the soul. If you're living out from your soul, if your soul is defining you rather than your spirit, then all, all those lies begin to define your life. Is, are you with me so far? So this, is, this becomes the challenge. A beautiful illustration of this, uh, if you sail, you know that you can have a great boat, but if you don't have a rudder, No matter how good the boat is, you can't go where you want to go without a rudder. You have to have a rudder. And so what Paul is essentially saying is, look, I'm praying not that you get a new boat. Like your personality is your personality. And your your aptitudes are your aptitudes. All good. You don't need a different personality. You need a rudder so that you can go where God wants you to go. So I pray that your rudder would be strengthened so that it can begin to run the boat, so to speak. The soul is a boat, the spirit is the rudder. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, the prayer is this, that you would be filled with the spirit of God. Because when you're filled, that which fills you is controlling you. That's the point of Ephesians 5.17 and 18. Remember, what does Paul say? There's a negative and positive. First, he says, don't get get drunk with wine. What he's literally saying is don't be filled with wine. And that word filled there means what? Don't yield your your body to the control of alcohol. Don't yield your body to the control of alcohol. Yield your body to the control of God's spirit. So when the spirit is controlling, it begins to kind of change the boat the direction of the boat. And that's our transformative process. So so the spirit needs to be strengthened. And then the question is, how how is the spirit strengthened? Well, everything that feeds the spirit strengthens the spirit. That's why if you leave here today, I'll rephrase that, when you leave here today, (laughs) there's a table at the back, and there's this thing called rule of life. And these are practices that strengthen your spirit. Fasting, meditation, Bible study, simplicity, generosity, hospitality. Like when you're in the stream of God's activity, your spirit will be strengthened. The rudder will begin to take more and more control. I, but here's the thing. I'm only motivated to do this stuff if I know that my boat is at the whims of everything. In other words, I have to. I have to know I'm weak before I'll ever be motivated to receive what the Spirit has to offer. So if you're if you're living like if you're living life like this, I'm not weak. I'm perfectly self-disciplined, and you know I do my stuff, and I get up, and I read, you know, and I re- I read and I run, and my body mass index is you know six, no fat on me anywhere. Boom, I'm you know. I'm God's gift to humanity. And then you're like this, oh yeah, there's problems in my life, but it's because of everybody else, right? We, you know, we ran a retreat center for a while and there was a woman with a pretty pathological level of dysfunction and she came to spend time with us. And the last night we're sharing a meal together and she said, I've prepared a critique of each of you. Literally, that's right. And so she had these notes. And so it was like, Uh, George, here's your problem, and Julie, here's your problem, and Mike, here's your problem, and Donna, here's your problem, and Richard, (coughs) you know, here are your problems, and then she says, you haven't done a thing for me other than confirm that I can't get along with anyone other than animals. That's what, that's literally what she said, but in her world, she had no issues. So, like, rewind the tape, go back to your childhood. Remember this song? Jesus loves me, this I know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, little ones to him belong, and then what? They are weak, but he is strong. Well, that's simple. I'm glad we've moved beyond that, and now we're, you know, adults. Huh, no. We are weak. What does Paul say? Second Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 or so. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider what? Anything is coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from Christ, who made us adequate. So if you're like this, I've got everything I need, good for you. Go sailing without your rudder. How's that working? Because here's what happens. People do set sail without the rudder. Often ambitious for God, right? Like, I'm going to do it. We're going we're to we're change the world. We're going to start a ministry. We're going to plant a church. We're going we're gonna to fix people. We're going to start a counseling thing. We're going to start a wilderness thing. We're going to do it, do it, do it. Like we're going to work hard. We're going to be disciplined. We're going to capture market share. We've got the, the best you know, app builder, the best web guy, the best mailing list guy. Boom. And then uh, let me tell you, as a guy who's been doing this for 40 years now, I can't, I can't count the burnout. I can't count it. All the infidelity all the financial impropriety, all the meltdowns, all the nervous breakdowns of people in ministry, let alone the rest of us, right? So get this, just doing stuff for God is never, ever, ever, ever the point, ever. The starting point is you need a spirit that is running the show. And if you don't have that, you've missed everything. So I pray that you would be strengthened in your spirit. That's where it all starts. And it actually starts then with you acknowledging your own weakness. Like for a seed, John 12, to fall on the ground and die, like Jesus says is necessary for all of us, the seed has to uh, shed its outer shell. And as soon as it sheds its outer shell, it's able to receive nutrients from the soil. My outer shell is what? I'm okay. Here's the good news. You're not okay. And the sooner you deal with that, the sooner you can receive the riches that is Christ. Second, so we're strengthened in our spirit and the inner being. Second, we must have Christ as our homepage. Uh, And Jesus here, uh, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. Uh, The word dwell is the same as the word abide and Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me, you bear fruit. So abiding is the key to fruitfulness. Dwelling, Christ dwelling with us is the key here. And so let's just kind of unpack this for a minute. What does it mean for Christ to dwell in your heart? The phrase I use is Christ as your homepage. And the reason I use that phrase, there's two texts that inform this, Philippians 4 and uh, Luke 10. In Philippians 4, what does Paul say? Be anxious for nothing. The word anxiety in the Greek language, is the word merimnao. And merimnao literally means to be divided. So a person who's anxious is divided. And when we're divided, we're not living in this present moment. At a place, you know, we're not in a place of rest. So the anxious person is split. Like you're thinking about the past and the future, but not the present. You're, you're, you're living in shame or pride, not humility. You're, you're worried about what others think, you're trying to arm yourself against what others think, rather than living to an audience of one and being, you know, humble and teachable. Uh, the way forward, says Paul, is to live every single moment in the presence and out from the reality of Christ, and this this roots you in the present moment. And now you're living in the present moment with this kind of background awareness. Christ is kind of your homepage, and even to carry the computer metaphor out a bit, Christ is kind of your operating system, do you see? Like, so it's in the background, but there. That was the point of this famous Bible story in Luke 10, uh, these two women, Mary and Martha. Jesus is at this kind of party, and Martha is doing what hospitable people do, and so she's kind of, you know, cooking stuff. I I picture her baking cookies you know, in the kitchen and clearing dishes and refilling coffee. And then here's Mary, and she's just kind of sitting and listening to Jesus. And if you don't know the story, it's hysterical because uh, Martha is getting bugged by Mary, right? Hey, what's up that, that Mary's sitting there and I'm, doing, I'm baking all the cookies and doing the dishes. And I'm paraphrasing now, obviously. Well, if you read your Bible, you know that. And that but then, you know, uh, Martha says that to Jesus, what's going on? Say something to Mary. Tell her to do some real work around here. And then Jesus says to Martha, I mean, I'm expecting, when I read it, I'm expecting Jesus to say, good point. Martha, get out of here and do something. And instead, he rebukes Martha. He says, hey, only a few things are necessary in this world. Really, only one thing. And then he goes, Martha's chose the better thing. Now, I know people with a gift of service called my wife. They don't like this story, or they didn't for years. Because they're like this. Jesus seems to be saying, I like people who are with well, their no study of their Bible, all the floor praying all the time, not these people over here who are doing you know practical things. Like this caste system. Here's the holy people up here, and then there's the rest of everybody doing stuff. That's not even the point at all. The point is. Martha understands, excuse me, Mary understands that the work we do in life is intended by God to flow out from this place of fullness and relationship. So the question isn't what you're doing. It's not the question. The question is, what did you do before you're doing what you're doing? In other words, what, what comes first for you? And if the first thing is this, hey, I got a to-do list a mile long, and so... I'm going to do all this stuff, you know? Dishes, diapers, drop the kids off, cello lessons for the oldest, soccer for the middle, little league for the youngest, go home, dinner, dishes again, lots of wine. Then if there's time, prayer. It's like, that's totally not it. And the, and the, and this is also not it, you know, unless you find an hour in the morning on your knees, you can't be a Christian. No, 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 no. What Jesus is saying here is, look, you can run the lake and pray. You can change diapers and pray for your diaper kid there. You you, you can you can do dishes and and pray for other for, for your friends. You don't have to do dishes and worry about tomorrow while you're doing dishes. You don't have to do diapers and resent doing diapers. You don't have to, you don't have to drive on I, you know, I-5 and resent all these people who have moved here. You don't have to do that. You can kind of live in this moment as a person of hope. Why? Because your homepage is Jesus. And so now you're living in communion with Jesus on your commute on your on your run in your kitchen in your cooking i love that i don't cook often but i cooked yesterday we had kids up and i made a stew and it's it's so fun to be in the kitchen you know chopping garlic and and gathering the oregano and making the stew and at the same time looking have my kids, my grandkids, and going, wow, I'm the luckiest guy in the world and praying for my kids. I love that. I think that's what Jesus is saying to Martha. Are you with me? So we want to learn here how to live out from that space. And then we got to move on here. Finally, we have to be rooted and grounded in love. The problem with the spruces is they didn't receive. They didn't receive what the soil had offered. Is that our problem too? Oh, yeah. Go back to Genesis 3. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, boom, in the garden, they sinned. And then uh, God comes to seek them because they know they're naked and ashamed. And what do they do when they know they're naked and ashamed? Do they run to God and say, God, we blew it. What are you going to do? Help us fix this mess. No, it says, I knew I was naked and ashamed. And so when God comes seeking, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I ran and hid. So listen, all of us have this kind of default posture of shame and running and hiding. Like we can't imagine a God who would love us just as we are because we live in a world that's performance oriented. And so we're like this, yeah, yeah, uh, I know myself too well and God can't love me but, and other Christians can't love me So I put on a kind of veneer of spirituality, and I pretend to be okay when I'm not okay, and I don't come to God with my my brokenness. And so I'm running, hiding, veiling, posturing, pretending, and I'm becoming a root incapable of receiving the soil, the nutrients. I have to learn here to be rooted. I love that he doesn't say rooted and grounded in Christ. Or rooted and grounded in the Holy Spirit, or rooted and grounded in a you know, doctrinal orthodoxy. He says, by prayers that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. Why love? Because if I know I'm loved, I will the person that I know loves me, I'll go to them every time I'll go there. I just have to know I'm loved. That's all I need. I remember early in our marriage, uh, needing to confess something to my wife being super nervous about it, taking her out to dinner so that we'd be in a public place and she wouldn't execute me. And, and then confessing and saying, I blew it. And I remember I was sobbing. And I remember this, so powerful. Of course I forgive you. I love you. Man, that's what we need to hear. Because now she's approachable. So, no pretending. Now, listen. If my wife can say that, I'm just here to tell you on the basis of Scripture, God is that times infinity, times infinity, times infinity. Utterly approachable. In your brokenness. In your hidden addiction. In last night's failure. So, run to God. (laughs) And here's what you'll find. Remember that prodigal son story? As soon as you come down the road, to, even toward God a little bit, he comes running to you because all God wants is relationship because that is the basic transformation. As soon as you have relationship, you have the roots that you need to receive all that God has for you because God loves us. God will never leave us and forsake us. That's the story of Peter. That's the story of David. That's the story of Jeremiah. That's the story of Job. That's, that's Philippians 4, 6. You begin a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. You, you are with God. and God loves you with, not based on performance, but based on God's character. Run to God every time. Rooted and grounded in love. So, you know, in the end, it says in Matthew 7, the wise man built his house on the rock. What's the rock? What's the rock that'll enable you to be in this for the long haul and enjoy it? It's not a moral code. Israel tried that, failed. It's not a political vision, that's for sure. It's not a nationalistic vision for a Christian nation. It's not a particular, nuanced, you know, well-constructed doctrinal statement. The Rock is Christ, and to the extent that we are strengthened in our spirit, so the spirit becomes our rudder. Christ becomes our homepage. And we live out from the confidence that we are irrevocably, unconditionally, infinitely loved. We're on the rock. And if we're on the rock, we're in for the long haul. And a great adventure awaits us. Let's walk that journey together as people of hope. Father, thank you. We have these moments. As we move to meditation now, I pray that you'd speak to us. Our desire, Father, is to hear from you as we remind ourselves that uh, you are above us, pouring down gifts. You are beneath us, rooting us in Christ. You are around us, connecting us to one another. You're within us, giving us hope and a calling. Let's meditate together as we close. Father, we want to thank you that your love for us is, as Paul prayed, a love that surpasses knowledge. We know at some level you're approachable. We know your love is unconditional. We know we can run to your arms. And yet my prayer, Father, is, as Paul prayed, that we would know that love in our experience, not just our intellect that we would know you're safe because we turn to you every time we fail, that we would know you're forgiving because we're vulnerable and forthright in confessing, that we would know you're strong because we name our weaknesses. Forgive us for pretense, Father, born of insecurity. Take us to that place of love. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's worship together.